0: The following night the Lord stood by him and said, take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of Adramidium, which was about to sail, to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the Lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia. There, the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Nidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the lee of Crete, off Salmone. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over paul advised them saying sirs i perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss not only of the cargo and the ship but also of our lives but the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what paul said And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there, on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete, close to the shore. But soon, a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land, and when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along, running under the lee of a small island called Kauda. We managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground on the citrus, they lowered the great and They, oh, sorry, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, You should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told, but we must run aground on some island. This is the word of the Lord.
1: some help from the kids here too guys um i know you're used to going to your age appropriate instruction but in the last two weeks of august it's our habit here to give our teachers and our staff our children's ministry staff a break and so um she's not here today because she's away but Geraldine is our all souls kids um, ministry coordinator can we just give her a round of applause uh, for the good work that she does and Geraldine, if you're watching online, we are so grateful for you and for your family. We're glad you're away and uh, hope you're getting some good rest. Um, but for you kids who are in here, need to interact with you a little bit. Uh, and I want to encourage you to continue to pay attention as we're going through here because there's going to be some stuff for you guys, too. So do words have power? Kids, do words have power? Yeah, that's a tough question, right? But if we're playing Simon Says then the clear answer to that is yes why because sometimes we agree to let words have power when we agree to play a game with someone we agree that that person's words when simon says put up your right hand what do you do you put up your right hand right when simon says put up your left hand oh Oh, got some of you, right? right? So when we agree that words have power, then they do. Same thing with Brittany and Joseph, who, by the way, are were our former members of our church who are serving on missions halfway around the world who just had another baby. Hallelujah. Um, I was there when Joseph uh, became a, a citizen of the United States. So he said, the constitution, written words in this case, have power in my life because I'm going to submit to them and become a citizen of this great country. Well, sometimes words have power when we care about the speaker. And we've all had experiences like this, haven't we? Where there are friends of ours or people in our class maybe who are speaking poorly about us or at work or even at church sometimes. Right, like The difference between church and all these other places is not that we don't sin against one another. It's what happens when we do. Right, It's how we approach one another, how we go after each other, how we own it, and experience the forgiveness of Jesus in this place. But sometimes words have power when we care about the speaker. The other side of that is when we really care about the speaker, and that speaker happens to be someone who wants to be our husband. And he proposes to us those words also have great power in our lives right because we're choosing to care about the speaker sometimes words have power when they're forced upon us right when there's a bully at school just like this whatever this cat this large feline is um a black panther maybe when when this large bully says your money's my money then those words have power because they have strength over us. Similarly, in our, in our countries or in our world history, here's Adolf Hitler in front of the Eiffel Tower when the Nazis took over Paris. Right? This country's now my country. This city's now my city. It's when those who have power use it, those words come with power. But I, all of these are, are small examples of limited power right because it's not absolute power it's not absolute uh, submission to those that are around us but when it comes to absolute authority what i think god wants us to see this morning is that his words always have power the word of god always accomplishes what it sets out to accomplish Right? And so his words never fail, like it says in the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord, what? Stands forever. forever. It stands forever. In the same way when God decided he was going to create everything, do you remember how he did it? He spoke it into existence. He spoke it. And probably a better translation, just to be clear, is he sang it into, into existence. That first chapter in Genesis is poetry. And when the ancient Hebrew rabbis would, would, would memorize it all, they'd memorize it as a song. That's not by mistake, friends. Our God is a musician. He's an artist, and he created everything to be beautiful in that way. And then when Jesus comes, how many of you have seen The Chosen, that series on angel? Yeah, if you haven't seen The Chosen, I highly recommend it. Go check it out. It will transform your heart in a really good way. They have a really special take on things that I think is just beautiful. This is the Jesus figure in The Chosen. And in John 1, it says that in the beginning was the word and the word was and the word was with in the beginning, right? So this this very clear declaration from the beginning of the gospel of john that jesus is the word of god in the flesh he put on skin and tabernacle he made his dwelling amongst us so that god of the old testament becomes the god in skin in the new testament same god just making himself much more available to us God's word always comes with absolute authority. And as we continue in our summer series through the book of Acts, which we're about to finish next week, by the way, friends, we're about to enter into, actually two weeks, but we're about to enter into this last season and transition into what the Lord has for us next, which if you're wondering what that is, it's called the book of Joshua, and it is going to be outstanding and so just a little plug there. Please join us for that. But when, when we, as we've been going through this series all summer and even all year, we have seen God do amazing things as we've been asking big picture questions about what it looks like to walk in the Spirit. What is this ministry of this third person of God, the Godhead, the Holy Spirit? What does that look like? And it's one thing to get lost in the clouds of theology. It's quite another to walk in a relationship. Both are necessary for understanding, but if all you have is understanding, you don't have him. It has to go from here to here. And that leap is called from information to revelation. And the only one who does that is God, right? So as we've been walking this, we've been watching him do amazing things. And I just want to say a special thank you to Scott and Tommy for uh, bringing the word to us the last three weeks. You guys have really blessed us. Thank you. Thank you. It was wonderful to be able to watch from afar, um, even after the fact, and be blessed by what God's doing in our midst. And uh, just last week, Tommy brought up some stuff that I think, I hope, you've really been processing, chewing on. Just this notion that that we we worship a God who's who's concerned about injustice who's not okay when racism is the way that we, we actually interact with one another, which, remember, he was rooting it all the way back and seeing it take place in the first century when the Jews that, that, that Paul, who's also Jewish, is sharing about what God's doing, not just amongst us as Jews, but also amongst the Gentiles. They were very interested w- with the Jewish stuff, but when it came to the Gentiles, they wanted nothing to do with Paul, and they were ready to just have him be gone, be dead, be gone forever because they didn't want to have to deal with what was going on in the Gentile world. So that ethnocentricity that says the world revolves around me and that's really all that matters, that's not just a first century issue. It's a 21st century issue, and it's not just an out there issue. It's an in here I- issue in all of us. And So the, the wrestling that happens in our culture where there's some groups of people that want to say other groups are racist and they're not, can I tell you what God says? Make no mistake about this, friends. Who's racist in this room? We all are. Why is that? Because we all struggle with the love of self, which is ultimately what racism is. Do you understand? And so, not to go too far down that road, simply to make the point, when we deal with a very big God who's really concerned about all of our hearts, He's gonna challenge all of us in ways that we're not ready for, in ways we don't think we have to be challenged, and yet that God says, I love you too much to just let you stay there. So I hope you were able to hear that and to enter into that. Uh, That's one of the beauties of having these things recorded and on YouTube and Facebook. You can watch them whenever you want to, so I encourage you to do that. But today's theme is simply this, when Jesus speaks, we can bet our lives on it. When Jesus speaks, we can bet our lives on it. Okay. In our text for this morning, what I want you to see in this unfolding story in Acts is that Paul is the one who sets the example, right? Chapters and chapters ago, it says Paul went to Jerusalem knowing that he would suffer. That's the story here. Paul, it says that Paul knew God was calling to Jerusalem, but knew God was calling him to suffer there too, and that it was going to be really difficult in that suffering, really difficult. But he still went. Why? Because he heard from Jesus. He heard directly from Jesus, and he chose to actually step out by faith. Did he suffer? Yeah. Was it hard? Yeah. Jesus was true to form. But please realize, Paul went. And the rest of this, the, the book of Acts, is the unfolding of that story, both in its suffering, but also in its glory. Now, Paul wrote to the church in Rome. He said this, if you want to share in the glory of Christ, you must also share in his what? Suffering. We don't like that. Can I just be honest? I don't like it. I don't like it. I struggle with that in my own life. I can talk the theology, but when it comes to practically living into that, my, my regular prayer is, Lord, keep me from suffering. And as I shared with you a few weeks ago, right, when I'm talking with, about, about my kids to the Lord, I'm like, Lord, keep them from suffering and grow their faith. And remember what he said to me? Which one do you want? <laughs> Which one do you want? Do you want him to be free from suffering or do you want them to grow? Because the way we grow is in the fire. The way we grow is in the wilderness. The way we grow is through suffering. And so if you've ever had this thought, God, why are you allowing this to happen to me? Don't you love me? Please know. His answer is, I'm allowing it to happen to you because I love you. Amen. Suffering is a reality in, in this world whether you know Jesus or not. But when you know Jesus, suffering is redeemed. And it becomes an instrument in the hands of our Redeemer that he can use for our good and for the good of those around us. So where is he challenging you even right now to that regard? Paul is our example. He is visited by Jesus in prison. Remember, Paul ends up in prison. That was what Tommy preached on last week because he's simply preaching the gospel. That's all he's doing. And they throw him in prison. And it's in the prison cell that the risen Christ in his bodily form comes and speaks to Paul. Now, if you want to talk about a confidence booster, that you're doing the right thing, when Jesus comes to meet you in prison and says, don't worry, you're going to go to Jerusalem. You've shared about me in Jerusalem. You must also testify in Rome. You're going to get there. All of a sudden, it's a game changer. It's a game changer. Why? Because Jesus has spoken directly to him. And when you hear from Jesus, you can bet your life on it. And that's exactly what Paul does. It changes his paradigm because suddenly Paul's protected. There's a few chapters we didn't read, and I'm just going to blitz through them with you because I want you to get the the big picture point of what's going on. And if you really want to read them, I encourage you to do it. All of God's word is useful. All of God's word is there for us to be encouraged by. But these last couple chapters in the book of Acts, they tell a long version of a story that I think can be told succinctly, and that's simply this, right? When, when Paul sees Jesus in the prison and he receives this word, he is completely protected, completely protected, because God's word never fails. And so even though you have these Jews that want to literally kill Paul, that some of them have taken a vow of starvation. What does that mean? It means they've decided they're not going to eat again until Paul's dead. Now, I kind of wonder, did they die? I mean, did they just not eat? Because you know what? The way the story unfolded is Paul's nephew... Here's the whisper of this plot to kill Paul when he's being transferred. And so he reports that, and the plan is not only thwarted, but Paul has this huge parade of soldiers that brings him to Caesarea by the sea, that prison that he was then going to be in for the next couple of years. But he is completely protected by 200 soldiers and 70 horsemen to protect one dude. Seems like a little overkill, but there was no doubt in anyone's mind that no one was going to kill Paul. They thought it was the tribune that decided that. But Paul knew that Jesus decided that long before it was a thought on the tribune's mind. Amen? So he's completely protected, but he's also emboldened. What ends up happening in these chapters as they unfold is Paul's brought before two different governors and a local king and his wife, And what Paul does is he's not afraid. Humanly speaking, these people have tremendous power. They can put him to death. They could decide anything that they wanted to. But Paul had already heard from Jesus. And so he was emboldened in front of them. He starts sharing the gospel with all of them. He's trying to convert them, even to the point where this guy Agrippa says, Paul, in such a short amount of time, are you trying to convert me and my bride? And Paul's like, yeah, that's exactly what I'm doing. Because I met this Jesus. He knocked me off my donkey on the road while I was being zealous to do the very thing that these other Jews are trying to do. I was them, an even better version of them, because I got to kill some of the Christians. I got to imprison them. I got to win that battle. And God, Jesus said, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? You've misunderstood. The Messiah has come. I am him. I was fighting a different battle than you thought. It's not against the Romans. It's against sin and death and everything inside, and I have overcome. Paul, meet me, Jesus, and now let me show you just how much you will suffer for the sake of my name. Jesus had decided that Paul was going to be sharing in much glory because he was also going to be sharing in much suffering. Do you see? Paul was emboldened to speak the gospel in front of these human authorities, but he was also emboldened in front of the spiritual authorities. In case you missed it, when Kristen was reading the story, it says that the wind and the waves battered them. It was like they were being pursued by the darkness. The, the storm would not leave them to the point where they had to ditch everything and, and, and get rid of the cargo and throw the food overboard. They had nothing left because even though they thought they escaped, it was like the storm was waiting for them to get back in the boat. And as soon as they did, it came. And they called it a Nor'easter. We know what nor'easters are, and it just destroyed them, but realize we hear that as, wow, that's just a lot of natural disaster. That's maybe a hurricane, a nor'easter, whatever it is, but don't misunderstand the way the first century audience would have heard that because the same God, Baal, that we read about in the Old Testament is the same God, Zeus, that the Greeks worshiped and the same God, Jupiter, that the Romans worshiped. They're all three versions of the same God who happens to be the God of what again? The God of the storm, thunder, lightning, and rain. And so when Paul's in the boat, and the boat is going to Rome, and it's on mission from Jesus, who wants to stop that boat? But every spiritual power and principality that has been set up against our Jesus. And yet, even though they unleash their worst on that boat, what happens? Well, let's see what happens. Once again, Paul receives a vision. He says, an angel from that same God met me on the boat tonight. I don't want you to be afraid. I heard a promise when I was in prison, that I was going to get, to get to go to Rome. And even though you guys messed up by getting back in the boat when I told you not to, God's going to protect me. And because he's going to protect me, he's going to protect everyone on this boat. Friends, do you understand that when God puts a calling on your life and he anoints you for something, that he's not just going to bless you, but he's going to bless all the people around you. Do you remember what he said to Abraham? Abraham, I'm calling you out of your people. You're gonna be my people and I'm going to bless you and you're going to be a blessing. When he says to his people, even when he's sending them into exile in punishment, in the book of Jeremiah, he says, I want you to go and I want you to be a blessing to that place for as they are blessed, you're blessed. I want you to be the blessing. And so when he's sending Paul, even as a prisoner to Rome, And they're in the middle of the storm, and there's all sorts of stuff breaking down. He says, Paul, because of my promise to you, everyone on that ship is going to be blessed. They're going to be saved. And Paul is emboldened. Paul boldly leads on that ship. Did you hear it? They're in the middle of a nor'easter. There's no hope. They're all undone. They keep trying to do things like kill the prisoners. Toss them over because they're weighing down the boat too. And God keeps coming in. In fact, Paul ministers to the entire crew. He says, listen, don't try to run even though you're trying to run. Don't try to run. I want you to know you're going to be safe as long as you stay on this boat. Or to put it a different way, as long as you're near me, because he's with me, you're going to be good. But if you jump overboard, it's over for you. He is showing them the power of the presence of God. And it's precisely there that Paul finds the courage to then, I think you may have missed it, share the Lord's Supper with everyone on the boat. Did you hear the language? Then Paul took bread and broke it, and giving thanks... He fed everyone on the ship. Friends, go back and read the story. Where's all the food at this point? It's not on the boat. They've already thrown all of the food overboard. Where does Paul get the food to feed all of these hungry sailors? The same place that God has always been providing. When we find ourselves in the storm and in the wilderness, it's the miracle manna. It's the bread from heaven. God does not need anything to create. He creates what's called ex nihilo, out of nothing. God creates. It rained bread for 40 years every day, except on the Sabbath, on God's people to provide for them. You think God can't make a little bread show up on a boat in the middle of the ocean? And then after everyone ate their fill. What does that sound like? The feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000. After everyone was completely satisfied, they had leftovers and they threw them overboard because they were too heavy for the boat. This is the God we know and worship, friends. I'm going to meet you on the boat. I'm going to be with you. If I've spoken to you, you can bet your life on it. How are we going to eat? No problem. How are we going to get there? I got you. What about those in authority? What authority stands up against me? That's our God, friends. Amen, amen, amen. And what happens? What's the result? See, we can get all jump, like, jumpy and, and, and excited like I cu- currently am, right? Like, but if God doesn't save them, then God's not God. If it doesn't come to fruition, then God's not God. But God literally saves all of them even to the point where he gets people's attention and says, look, they're trying to run away. Cut off those life lifeboats. And hey, they want to kill all the prisoners because the boat has now run aground and it's being torn up and they need to get to that island that they have found. But as this is the normal uh, state of affairs, you would kill the prisoners so they wouldn't run away. And the centurion says, for the sake of Paul, we're not killing any of them. Do you see again? The anointing on Paul... His call and assignment from Jesus is what saves the rest of the prisoners and everyone else on the boat. Do you see it? Friends, some of us in this room feel like we've been in the middle of a storm that has been unrelenting and we cannot get out of it. And we're wondering, why, God, do you have me here? Can I encourage you to see that at least part of the answer to that is simply this? God has other people in your life that he wants to bless because you're in that storm. If Paul's not in that storm, every one of those soldiers is dead and none of them get to know Jesus. But because Paul's in that storm, all of those soldiers are saved and they get to see Jesus. Friends, there are real answers to real questions. Our God is not a God who says, simply put on a happy face and pretend like everything's okay. You don't see that in our text. You don't hear that coming out of my mouth. God says, in the middle of it, As I'm calling you to walk through it, I want you to trust that I'm going to be with you and I'm going to bless you and use you to be a blessing. And we see it again and again and again in our text. It is a vivid picture, friends, of exactly what God has called us to do and be as believers. Bet our lives on the word of God. Listen, please don't miss this. Betting our lives on the word of God is being rooted in what has been revealed. What do we call that? The Bible. The scriptures but we don't worship the bible the bible is an instrument of god from god to help us go to god we worship the god that we meet in the pages of the scriptures we worship the god that the scriptures point us to and urge us to and that the holy spirit enlivens so that they actually produce the work that they were spoken and written to produce in us It is not the words and the pages, but the God found in them, under them, through them, and because of them, what we then begin to hear. So it's rooted in what has been revealed and listening for what is being revealed. This past year of our life as a church, we have been practicing discernment, learning to listen to the voice of God. How many of us grew up in churches where we didn't even know that that was possible? How many of us have never been to church and had no idea that that was possible? And God has brought us into this place together, in this season together, to learn to hear his voice. And friends, can I just tell you this? If you struggle with this at all, my own story is one of having thought that God was simply the rule giver who told me how to behave. He was like a third parent I didn't want. All the things he said don't do were the fun stuff. Right? Let's be honest. And so all I knew him to be was this ogre in the sky who was waiting for me to mess up. And I just had to obey this book of rules. As I have known God over the last 20 years of my life, 20 plus years of my life, Here's the difference. When you begin to hear the voice of God, you realize it is not about getting it right, doing right, being obedient. Obedience is a necessary part of the equation. It absolutely is. But it's not the goal. It is a means to an end. The goal, the end, is Him. It's Him. It's real relationship. It's knowing and interacting with and being intimate with and hearing the voice of and feeling the love of and feeling the embrace of a living God. And so if you're struggling, friends, at all with the notion of hearing from God, there's more work for us to do and we will do it. We will continue to walk this path. But beloved, the only way you personally are going to walk it is by opening your heart. It's by surrendering control. Because when you have your hands clutched like this because you're afraid of what might come of this, what ends up happening is the shield you're using to protect yourself from anyone who might get it wrong, it's the same shield that's also protecting you from the one who never does. Beloved, put down your shield and start listening to the voice of the one who made you and who loved you enough to die for you. That real relationship changes everything. Rooted in what has been revealed, listening for what is being revealed, and then obeying whatever Jesus tells us. That's what we get from the life and ministry of Paul in the book of Acts, even and especially in the storm even and especially in the storm. In the very places where we feel oftentimes like it's hardest to actually do this, those are the, precisely the places that God is calling us to do this because we need him most. When he's stripping the stuff away that would make it easy for us to believe like we don't need him. When fishermen are in a boat and a storm's so rowdy and raucous that they're crying out for God's help, you know that's quite a storm. For some of us in here, Me included. You know what we are? We're runners. We're strong. We have a motor. It does not stop. We're strong. So you know what God keeps doing when he wants to get our attention? He sends more wind, more waves, more weight, because he wants us to see truly how little we are, how unable we are, Not because he wants to shame us, but because he wants to set us free from the old ways of thinking and living that actually have never worked. Where is that happening even in your life, friends? For Jesus is the one who says in Matthew chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount, even when the storm's raging and the flood's coming, here's what I want you to do. Build your house on the rock of my teaching. For when every other ground is shifting sand, there is one place where you will not slip. And that is my word. Build your house on that rock. And then as you're building your house on that rock, remember what I've told you through my word, I will be with you. The very next chapter, the disciples go out into a, a stormy sea and they're all upset because Jesus is sleeping in the bow. He is so at peace in the middle of what happened... Wait, what did we talk about in terms of a storm in the first century eyes? They would have seen a storm not simply as a tempest, but as an attack in the spiritual realm of chaos and disorder, of Baal and Zeus, right? Right? They would have seen the spiritual side and not just the physical side. And so these fishermen are out at sea, and they're like, the gods are after us. You remember when Jonah was going out, and he was running from God, and the storm broke out, and all the fishermen said, the gods are mad at us. Who's done something against their God? Why would they say such a thing? Because they believed such a thing. Because there is a spiritual realm that has always been believed in, and we've missed it, not them. We've missed it, not them. And so they're afraid that the boat is going to be destroyed because the storm is so huge. And do you remember what Jesus says? Why are you afraid? I'm right here. You got nothing to worry about. I've been in the boat the whole time. You think that has something to say to me? Do you remember Remember how He calms the storm? He what? He speaks, be still, and the storm comes to an end. And you remember what the other sailors say? Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Translation, who is this that Baal and all of his minions obey him? Who is this that Zeus and all of his power is subject to him? do you see it? Do you hear it? There are two sides to this, two layers, that if we don't see both, we're going to miss the bigger picture here, friends. Jesus is showing himself to be Lord over all of creation, not just what we see, but even and especially what we don't see, because here's what happens when we don't see. Matthew chapter 14. I want you to see this. This is all Matthew here. Build your house on the rock in the middle of the storm. Then they go out into a storm, and it's don't be afraid. Then Matthew 14, they go out into another storm. Do you think Jesus is trying to teach them something, and they're having a hard time learning? Just be honest, right? He's not teaching the same lesson, again, because they got it the first time. They're struggling to learn the lesson. And this time, they're out at sea, and Jesus is not with them. He's up in the mountains praying because he just heard that his cousin John the Baptist had been killed. So he's crying out to God until 3 o'clock in the morning. And at 3 o'clock in the morning, he looks, and his disciples are still rowing. Let me say it differently. They're straining at the oars. By their own strength, they're trying to get through the storm. How many of us know what it feels like to try to get through a storm by our own strength? It's exhausting. It's exhausting. And yet, it says that Jesus walks out to them on the water and they think it's a ghost and it says that Jesus was ready to pass them by because they were straining at the oars let me put that to you differently to the degree that we still think we are struggling against only flesh and blood and that it's by our fleshly strength that we will get through this storm we will only ever strive and we will miss the Jesus who's walking out on the water to help us But to the degree that we turn our attention and face, look at Jesus, see that he's doing far beyond what we thought he would or could do. And then, like Peter, we say, Jesus, if it's you, call me out on the water. And he does. He calls him out on the water. Remember what happens. Peter starts walking on water. Peter does the very thing that Jesus does. And we think, oh, that's impossible. You're right humanly speaking that's impossible let's get that clear I've never walked on water I've tried a few times doesn't ever work too much of this stuff gets in the way right like it is humanly impossible to walk on water that's the point friends that's not evidence at all oh, this stuff is hogwash that's the point God is not going to do for us what he's already called us to do for ourselves He's calling us to step out in faith so that he can do through us what we could never do for ourselves. And that, beloved, is crazy miracles like walking on water. Remember when Peter starts to kind of lose it? He starts to sink, right? And he cries out, God, help me, Jesus, help me. Why did he start to sink again? Do you remember? He took his eyes off Jesus and started looking at the waves, to put it differently. The darkness was bigger to him than Jesus was. Friends, the reason why God wants us to bet our lives on his word is because storms are coming. We've been through some. We're going to go through more. And if we don't know where the rock is, and we don't understand what Jesus does in the storms, we will only ever strive and be exhausted and be overwhelmed and be beaten down by the spiritual realm, by the powers and principalities of darkness that are designed, according to Jesus himself, to rob, steal, and destroy. But Jesus has come that we might have life and life to the fullest. Storms are coming. We need to know how to stand. Because, friends... The storm has been overcome. Let me say that one more time. The storm has been overcome. Jesus doesn't just give us great advice for how maybe to survive. Jesus says, I've already conquered the storm. Even the gates of Hades. Now remember, when Jesus said that, when Jesus made this proclamation to Peter and he said... Peter I'm going to build my church on this rock and even this rock the gates of Hades will not be able to prevail against it. Jesus is walking in Caesarea Philippi. Listen, where there was literally a place called the Gates of Hades. This was not some weird concept, some some symbolism. This was a true place where they would make animal sacrifices to Hades and to the other gods of the darkness. And do you know where it was located? You know how you got to Hades? You went through the sea. You went through the ocean. You went into that chaos that they believed was the darkness incarnate. And so when Jesus says, not even the gates of Hades will prevail against my church, he's making a very specific comment about where true power and authority come. Even the chief gods, even this underworld, even the darkness at its worst has already lost, which is what Paul declares to the church in Corinth when he says, where, O grave, is your sting? Where, O death, is your victory? It has been swallowed up in the cross of Jesus Christ. Do you see it? He's making a a declaration on two levels, which is why when you see the new creation in Revelation chapter 21 what's the one thing that's that's missing there is no sea there's no ocean why because God does not like whales because God does not like sharks well probably he doesn't like sharks he and I are very similar in that way right it's not about there not being an ocean it's about there not being chaos and disorder a dark spiritual realm will not exist in the new creation and you're still sitting in your seats Friends, this is awesome news. Death will be no more, and all of the power behind death will not exist anymore. Hallelujah. 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 This is the promise of our God and what has already taken place because of Jesus. And because that has taken place, he wants us to live in this world differently than we ever have before. And so let me say this to you. If you've been sleeping thus far, wake up. Wake up. Last week, Kristen and I were away. We were down at Spruce Lake in Pennsylvania. We were leading a retreat for another church. And it was amazing. Here's why it was amazing. Because this church has been without a pastor for a few years. They're in the wilderness. They're in the storm. Lots of hurting people. Lots of brokenness and hopelessness. We saw that word in our text for this morning. And they came hungrier than they knew they were. And as we began to worship, as we began to open up the word, and as God led us down that path, we watched as God began to move and pour out his Holy Spirit. And for those of you who've never been to a Holy Spirit weekend, some of the things I'm about to say might scare you. Good. Here's why, friends. I don't be, I'm not trying to be conceited or, or facetious when I say that. We should be challenged in what we think is normal, in what we think is good and right. When we're talking about walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, it's designed to disturb our comfort it's designed to get down underneath the places that we think we're hiding from God. We're not hiding anything from him. He already knows. And what he's asking us to do is to come in a posture of surrender so that he can do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Some of us in this room and online are carrying burdens and believing lies that Jesus died to set you free from, but you won't be free until you surrender control. Perhaps that today is your day. For you see, Jesus was all about shifting paradigms. His very first miracle did that in John chapter 2, the wedding at Cana, where Jesus walks into a party that should have ended in utter shame because the bride and groom did not plan enough for the wine. And do you remember when they run out of wine, they go to Jesus' mother, Mary, and say, we've run out of wine. And Jesus, Mary gets Jesus and then t- turns to the workers and says, do whatever he tells you to do. If you hear nothing else this morning, please hear this. Do whatever Jesus tells you to do. Step out in faith. Go beyond what you think. Trust that he's the one leading and then look for the confirmations because, beloved, when Jesus speaks, we can bet our lives on it. When you see in John chapter 2, Jesus turned the water for purification, 180 gallons of water, he turns into the best wine that they brought out second, not first. He completely and utterly shifts the paradigm of that first century shame culture and says, you're not going to be shamed. I'm going to take away your shame and pour out such blessing on you that you will know joy like you've never known before. And they partied all week on 180 gallons of wine that is the the best wine they've ever had, but that was not the point. They were full of the love of God as they experienced it in the person of Jesus. That's what the imagery of wine in the Bible has always pointed us to. It's not about what comes from the grapes, but it's about the one who allowed his life to be crushed, the blood that comes from that that sets us free. Jesus shifted their paradigm and he wants us to live according to that same mantra, doing whatever he tells us to do. We see this even in our own history here, all souls, when we are praying about planting this church. There were 19 of us by the time we got our core group together, but even before the core group got together, there were two. And we fasted and prayed before we made any decisions or gathered anyone else. For two weeks, we fasted and prayed, and God made it abundantly clear a week and a half into that when both Kristen and I already knew, and then God used Kristen's mother to come to us and to sit us down and to say, earth to Jonah, go to Nineveh. Those were her words. Earth to Jonah, wake up, kids. God is calling you to plant this church, amen. and he was, and he did, and he has, amen, amen, yes. amen. amen. But it wasn't just planting all souls, it was coming to suffering. Do you remember? How many of you who are new here have never heard the fact that we were given this church building? In 2013, there was a dying church here in Suffern called Living Waters Fellowship, full of very vibrant people. But the Lord was moving them in a way that says, we're going to surrender even our building. And we've been praying for a year and a half for an existing church building. And God brought us together with this church. And He said, You've been praying for the wrong thing. Yeah, you can have the building, but you're going to have the people. And together, you will be a blessing. Amen. And it has been utter heaven here, friends. <laughs> utter heaven. Now, I'm about to share something I've never shared before. There have been at least half a dozen times that I've received phone calls from other churches asking me to apply for their pastoral role. At least half a dozen. There was a church in PA that I served at as a youth pastor. They reached out their pastoral search committee. Hey, will you apply? Here are all the reasons why you should. There's a church in Virginia, same deal. We are connected with them through a mutual friend. Hey, will you apply? We had some interactions with them. There was a a church, there are two churches actually on Long Island that reached out, hey, will you apply for our pastoral uh, positions? And I'm not saying this to toot my own horn. I'm saying this to say this to you. At every point, the Lord made it abundantly clear that we were to stay. It was not even a question. You're to stay here. You're to stay here. Deep roots, old fruit. You are to stay here. And it's not to say that the Lord can't move us somewhere if he so desires. It's simply to say... That the the Lord made it so clear to us that we were to stay, there was nothing that was going to rip us away from this place, from what God's doing here, from what He will do here. Because when God speaks, you can bet your life on it, friends. When God speaks, it's not to say we're always going to get it right. We are not always going to get it right. But He never gets it wrong. He never gets it wrong. And so we seek confirmation of that, which in all of these stories the Lord has confirmed again and again and again. And so do whatever he tells you is the first paradigm shift, but the second paradigm shift is what do you actually want? Are you willing to let God speak to you in a way that you will obey? In John chapter five, there's a story of the paralytic who's been paralyzed for 38 years, who's sitting down next to this pool of Bethesda This is the the current site in Israel. Sitting down next to this pool, 38 years, helpless and hopeless, turned his back on God because he thought God turned his back on him. And Jesus walks right in and simply says, what do you want? Do you want to be healed? And he gives him a simple command, pick up your mat and walk. Pick up your mat and walk. Please hear me. If that man did not pick up his mat and walk, We don't hear this story, at least not like this, because he doesn't get healed. Jesus has wed together our faithful response to his ability and heart. When he comes into our lives to heal us, we need to believe a few things. One, that he's able to heal. Two, that he wants to heal us. And three, that we need to be healed. And if all three of those things do not match up in us, guess what will not happen? We won't, we won't get healed. But when those three things do match up, guess what will happen? You will be healed. Now, listen, some of you right now are like, oh, wait a second. Is he saying every time we pray for healing, we're going we're to be healed? I'm saying to you this. When we pray for healing and we come fully surrendered, God does amazing things. He heals parts of us we didn't even know were broken. And he sets us on a pathway of continued healing that won't stop until he's done. And so, yes, sometimes that means immediate healing. Sometimes that means healing that comes in stages. But it always means healing because when you get to heaven, you will be completely healed. There will be nothing wrong with you, nothing broken. No darkness will have any grip on your heart, friends. But heaven has broken in to earth, which is what it means to be the church, which is why we are to be healing the sick, casting out demons and preaching the good news. That's what it means to be the church. So here's what we saw. Let me tell you a couple of examples for those of you who are still struggling to believe that this is even possible. And let me just say this, we've seen this here already. We've seen this here already, and there's more. Kara, whose name in Greek means joy, came forward with her mother, and I'm not gonna tell all the details of their stories, that's between them and God, but she came forward with her her mother And she has a severe illness. There was no joy on her face. As soon as they came forward, and Kristen and I are doing prayer ministry together, which, total aside, Kristen stepped out in faith. She stepped out in faith this weekend because she's never felt comfortable doing prayer ministry. Can I just say that out loud? She's never felt comfortable doing it. She always feels like, I'm not sure I'm hearing anything. I'm not sure I'm... I'm useful here. I don't know what to do. It feels awkward. Some of you know exactly what she's talking about. Can I tell you, when she stepped out in faith, all of a sudden, the Lord was downloading to her. She's been doing this for a year plus, trying to learn, and there was huge breakthrough this weekend. She got visions. She got words of knowledge, and people were healed from that. Did you hear that? Visions. She said, I don't ever see anything. She got these incredible visions that were spot on. Words of knowledge. I don't ever hear anything. Not anymore. Not anymore. Because she stepped out by faith, friends. So Kara comes forward, and Kristen and I are ministering together, and she's with her mom. And right away, the Lord says, in my mind, in my heart, he says, she doesn't know me. And so I just say, do you know Jesus? And she says, I don't think so. I said, do you want to know Jesus because he wants to know you? And she says, yes. And So I lead her through a simple prayer, inviting Jesus in and surrendering her life. And then I look at her right in her eyes and I say, you came forward today looking for a miracle healing of this disease. And I want you to know you just received the greatest miracle you will ever receive in your entire life. Your soul has been resurrected. You are a new creation And do you know this girl who had zero joy turns and says, instead of praying for me, can we pray for my mom? Because I feel like she's really weighed down. We have not prayed for her physical healing yet, for Kara's. But she's asking that we pray for her mother, which is totally the heart of God, right? And as we start praying for her mother, the Lord gives me another word. Kara means joy not burden. And so I just speak to the mom. I say, if you like the Lord saying something to me for you, will you receive it? Yes. I think what he wants you to know is that Kara is your joy and not your burden. And she collapsed and just wept and wailed and kept repeating, Kara, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. It was Beautiful inner healing that this mom, who's been caring for the burden of her daughter for so long, felt so helpless, so hopeless, and the Lord spoke directly to her the next day. Now, when we did prayer ministry Saturday night, we started at seven. We weren't done till one in the morning. The next day after the morning worship service, we started doing prayer ministry at eleven thirty. We will not. We were not done till two thirty in, in the afternoon. Do the math, almost their entire church came forward and received healing in Jesus. The next day, Kara waited around towards the end because she and her mom wanted to come forward. You know what they wanted to tell us? Thank you. But can I tell you, I didn't recognize her when she came forward because this girl who was so overwhelmed with shame and sorrow and anger now had a huge smile on her face. And a glory coming out of her that was unmistakable. God did a magnificent healing in her and in her mother. And it was simply because they came ready, ready to obey what they heard Jesus say. What about Ben? Ben was another young adult who came forward because his dad had just died two weeks earlier. And the enemy of his soul kept hounding him with this message. You didn't do enough to save your dad. You didn't do enough, especially when he was in the ICU. You didn't do enough. And as we ministered to him and listened to the words of the Lord on his behalf, the Lord gave us a vision of this parade of Christians that were coming through the hospital and simply speaking, singing, and praying truth over his father. And that that was a source of tremendous hope for Ben. And as we shared that message with him, again, he collapsed. He felt the Father's embrace. He felt weight come off of his shoulders. For the accuser, the one who wants to shame him, was silenced in Jesus' name. Healing, friends. Freedom, friends. Simon, an older man, married, had a headache for 25 years. How many of you have had a headache for two days and know what that feels like? 25 years without any relief. And as we listened to the Lord and him for his sake, we heard very clearly bitterness. So we led him in a prayer, had to do with his wife, and anger that they had been built up there. But as he prayed for forgiveness there, and we prayed for healing over his head, he said, how are you feeling? He said. I feel like 50% of the pain is gone. So we kept praying. Go, Jesus. Keep going. Prayed again. 75% of the pain is gone. Yes, Jesus, keep going. Nothing changes. I'm like, okay, you keep praying. You heard us pray for you. You pray for you now. You have the same Holy Spirit in you that we've got. You keep praying. The next morning, He comes up to us and says, No more headache. Completely yeah. gone. Completely gone. And the next afternoon do you know who came forward for prayer his wife and the lord set her free too why am i sharing these stories friends because the reality is there's a different way to do life when jesus speaks to us we can bet our lives on it we're not always going to get it right but if we're afraid of getting it wrong we'll never enter in and actually watch him do incredible things, incredible things, where the kingdom of heaven breaks into earth. It's why we worship. Come down, rend the heavens. We want to feel you, we want to taste you, we want to experience your love in a new, fresh way. Yes and amen. amen. When Jesus speaks to us, friends, we can and we must Bet our lives on it, because in case you missed it when Andrew was sharing, that's how the world changes. He tells us to go in Romans 10. How will anyone hear of this good news unless people go to places like Ghana to share the good news? How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring the good news, right? We know that passage, but we keep talking about it here freshly because we say this. He's not talking simply about what's written. He's talking about the Rama word, The spoken word of God, which never contradicts the written word, but comes with prophetic power in the moment for the people that God is trying to reach. Just like you heard story after story after story from this last weekend, friends. It's why he says go out and be salt and light. Be those who bring the light and the life to the world. That's how the world changes and that's who we've been called to be. I'm bringing this slide back up because I don't want you to miss it. Betting our lives on the word of God means being rooted in what has been revealed, listening for what is being revealed, and obeying what Jesus tells us. And the challenge for each of us this morning and every day moving forward is simply this. What needs to change? What needs to change in my thinking in my actions? Where am I looking at the waves and the storm and thinking it's too big? Where am I not looking at Jesus who's in the boat or walking on the water and calling me out and I'm afraid and I won't do it? Where am I hiding behind a shield of self-protection and not realizing that I'm actually distancing myself from the very God who wants to set me free and make me whole? Where? What needs to change? Where am I not even spending the time to listen for the voice of God? because I struggle believing that it will even happen. Like Kristen, it's been a year, I've been trying, I don't hear anything, so I'm ready to give up. What if tomorrow's your day? What if today is your day? What needs to change in my posture towards God so that my relationship with Him can explode, can grow beyond measure? so the world around me can be blessed because of it. When Jesus speaks to us, friends, we can and we must bet our lives on it. Let's pray. Jesus, we are here because we want to hear from you. And you have spoken. You've spoken in your written word. You've spoken in your life as you walked this earth And you continue to speak through your Holy Spirit to us, in us, and through us. And we praise you for that, Lord, for you are a living God. The same yesterday, today, and forever, you do not change. And just as you showed up in Paul's cell, you can show up in our prison cells. You can show up on the boat with us. And we can see you and hear you and know you. And we're asking for more and more of those things to just pour out, Lord. Let the spirit of Pentecost pour out on this place, Lord God. Would you give us visions and dreams? Would you give us the gifts from heaven that we would see you and know you, Lord? But more than anything else, through those things, would you give us yourself? Would you help more of our hearts to belong to you? You're the goal. You've always been the goal. You're the one, relationship with you, knowing why we've been made, knowing that love, tasting and seeing it, and watching as that love regenerates us and makes us whole. That's your heart for us, Lord, and that's ultimately our deepest desire in this world, is to know the love of a maker, of a father, of a friend, of a lover, who knows and loves us like that, whose love actually transforms us and makes us whole. So come closer, even now we pray, and God, I pray that you'd show us what are those crowns that we've been wearing as our false identities that we need to lay down before you? Where are we resisting praying like a pleasing aroma? that rises up to the heavens, that you say you actually hear an answer like lightning from heaven to change earth. Why are we struggling to believe that? Where do we need healing? Would you show us? Would you speak, Jesus? And then Holy Spirit, would you give us the strength we need to obey, to do whatever Jesus tells us, to do whatever Jesus tells us? We pray by faith in that matchless name.